Hello and welcome to, I guess, episode 1.5 of the Underhive Lawkeepers podcast. As always, I am Spamuel, and to my right, my magnificent man, Vin- Nathan. Magnificent, I like it. Oh, yes, Spamuel. <laughs> I thought I was going to get something derogatory this week, but no. No. Got a pretty name. Every now and then, I like to shock the audience by giving you a compliment. Don't worry, I will insult you by the end of this show. Oh, please do. I want to keep um, regularity up. (laughs) And this episode here is a little bit outside of what we were originally planning because it does sit outside of our sort of expected production schedule, primarily because we are looking at the new rules compendium there. Now, the vast majority of this book is 100%, as you'd expect, rules, gameplay, that sort of thing there. We're not about it. Um, rules get in the way of a storyline. I choose not to learn the rules of Necromunda. That way I always win. But That's exactly how it works, Sam. <laughs> I got to roll the dice, so therefore I had a winning day. Good on you, little Timmy. Hey, little Timmy Helmore lives in all of us. <laughs> But in regards to this book, we also have like 49 pages of absolute lore gold. And that's before we get to things like the artwork and just some of those quotes that get thrown in there. So we've come up with just this quick episode rundown of what we want to be saying to new players who have picked up this book or are thinking about picking up this book and whether or not they're going to get just more than those rules. Yeah, 100%. Like, we just want to cover off a few of the things that we've sort of uh, picked out throughout the week of reading and just things that, like, as I said, for the newer players, you're just like, oh, that's, that's pretty cool. For the, for the older Necromunda players, it's probably stuff you already know, but um, they're exciting points for me because, as I've mentioned several times, I'm a little bit ignorant on uh, some of the Necromunda lore. So when I read this, I'm like, oh, that's mad. That's absolutely wicked. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to sort of de- delving into this just a little bit, and I guess we're not going to go too expansive because a lot of that info- information will be uh, coming into a later episode, I assume. 100%. In fact, a lot of the law going into this is almost word for word. This stuff we cover in not only the episode one, but also episode two coming out, I believe, in about a week. Uh, that brief 10,000-year history of Necromunda. But jumping straight into this one here, when you open this book and you get past, you know, your table of contents and those awesome little breakdowns and sort of in-world sort of emails, I guess they are, sort of communiques, yeah, I guess. little with little data communiques, and they're yeah. great. They, they add value. I really love them when you see them in any of the um, GW publications. But, yeah, once you once you move past those little – what are they, the little green boxes of info, we'll call them? Yeah, yeah. like a, a data communique. I really like yeah. that. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so well, once we move past that data communique, we are greeted with something I find so cool, and that is literally a picture of the planet of Necromunda with its three moons visible there, or three major moons, and it gives you that cool little breakdown of some of the information here. And 
you know, we know it's the Necromundan system. In the Araneus sector, I find that cool. Or there's most like a little, hey, we took your, uh, we took your whole empire and we've just, we've kept your name, just sort of rubbed that dirt in the wound a little bit. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, we'll call it one of our sectors. And you know what? We're pretty creative. We'll call it Araneus. Look at us. <laughs> clever, clever Imperium. Yeah. And this gives us some really cool little tidbits of information that I don't think I ever knew. Um, the first of those being that the Necromundan orbital cycle is 723 Terran standard days. So a Necromundan year is, what's that, like a week off two Terran yeah. years? Yeah, about that. Yeah, what's a 320... 365? 360, oh my God, I can't yeah. remember that. Yeah, 365. <laughs> yeah, right. We yes. are fully grown adults and yes. we know how many days there are in a year. It's seven days off. Yes, seven there we days go. off. Oh, yes. They must account for leap years. Oh, yeah, cool. I get it. There you go. Boom. Necromunda doesn't have leap years. That is canon. <laughs> and so on top of that, the gravity is 1.3 Terran standard. So, you know, everyone's, everyone's going to be just that little bit tougher. Like, you know, they'd feel, all, they'd feel positively, you know, 10, 15 kilos lighter once they came down to Terra, you know, on holiday, as I'm assuming they do. Yeah, the, the, the annual trip to Terra from Necromunda. Yeah. yeah of course, that yeah. happens all the time, doesn't it? But, yeah, yeah no, that, that, that surprised me as well, that the fact that it's 1.3 Terran standard. So I don't exactly know what that does to the populace, obviously. Not too much because they're still able to function and go about like regular humans. But it's these small little details that we've been talking about that I just absolutely love. Just this little, little tiny little element and you just go, yeah, cool. I can do something potentially with that within my campaign or law or whatever I'm going for. But the next one, the, um, about the population, and I believe we've mentioned it before, the unquantifiable population the, as the census failed. So that gives us an indication of, the the fact that it was too hard to get around to all the hives and all the the population out in the ash ash waste as well. So you're sort of looking at it, you go, wow, what they, there's a suspected population of um, uh, Necromunda, but according to Imperial data, it's uh, unclassifiable, unquantifiable. Sorry, but that's one of those cool little tidbits of yeah, and we made a big deal of it. What did I say? There was like a a hundred trillion or a trillion people on Necromunda. Yeah, yeah, a, tr right. a, a trillion as a number, even as a concept, is something that is quantifiable. And this this literally is telling us that no no, that that trillion, that's too easy a concept. We can't figure this out because, you know, there are thousands of hives and even if we, like we said, even if there's just a billion, but that's only the hives themselves before we get below that wall. And we've gone over this previously, but that, that I think is cool where they're just like, Hey, we know there's a lot of people. Our census failed. We're not going to bother trying to give this a label. Mm -hmm. Do you know what, when you mentioned the census as well, actually, I was just suddenly thinking about this. Um, so then you'd be taking a census of, uh, alien races on there. Well, I consider squat alien races. So you'd have to take a census of all the other sort of different types of life forms, like a sentient life forms as well, I guess. It depends. I guess it depends on what they want the census to 
take into account. We know there are Xenos and Ab humans that are allowed on Necromunda in the Stranger's Hive of Hive Primus. We know that there are going to be other races and other ab humans getting on there in different ways mm. uh whether that is through legal or illegal immigration transit rogue traders that sort of thing there but i can't imagine the imperium wanting to do too much of a census in regards to them i think it's more of a don't ask don't tell type of policy when it comes <laughs> Yeah. To how many, you know, non-humans or non-human strains there are on Necromunda. Yeah, I mean, true. I yeah. know we get a couple of um, ab-human bounty hunters and hangers-on and that sort of thing. We know, like you said before, we know the squats are there. But it's not something that's been sort of ventured into too much right now mm. with N17. Um, mm. N95, we knew there were Eldar and that sort of thing in the game but in regards to this new version i think that's that's still an aspect that can be explored later on yeah um, if they choose so. to go that route yeah i guess i think we're thinking about it as we're discussing right now it's sort of the the imperium the imperium wouldn't be looking at the census as a way to garner exactly the the population breakdown they'd be looking at it as are you what kind of tithe do we need to put on you Based on the 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 population you have, yeah. So anyway, we should uh, we get stuck into a very very <laughs> small part of the Necromunda law, which is about exactly what does the census look like in the Imperium, and how yeah. does that look like on Necromunda? So let's move on. Yeah, we've been talking for thirty six minutes. We are currently <laughs> two pages into the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, if we skip forward through the rest of uh, sort of this first couple of pages, there's a lot of stuff here in regards to the Imperium. And the reality is, you probably all know this sort of stuff already. And you know the, what the Imperium is, how apparently we are the good guys in 40k. I'm not a fan of that apparently, by the way. <laughs> We're the good guys. We're the good guys, thank you. It talks about Hive Worlds, and I don't want to jump too much into this. But on page seven, we have this beautiful view of a hive and the spoil surrounding it. Everything, oh, it, yeah, it genuinely it's... looks like it's made yeah. of Agrax Earthshade. Yes, it does. Yeah, bang on. That's exactly what it looks like. I thought there was, following those pages, like we'll go back to what you're saying, it's like the, the, I thought you were talking about the outer, like the, the, the artwork when it's got the basically the view from the atmosphere. But, yeah, oh. that one of the, the hive, that really gives you a true understanding of, like, what, what, a waste, what the wasteland looks like around an actual hive and how much has collapsed, how much has been destroyed, how much has been, I guess, reclaimed in a certain way um, to create it. But, yeah, it does look like it's made out of uh, the old Agrax Earthshade. And then, yeah, those next two pages, like you said, the view of Necromunda from that atmospheric position where you can see those spires coming through the clouds, through the pollution, to the point of those are space-bound vessels. I think, like, those are Imperial cruisers. Yeah, they are. Yep, yep. And that's, that's sick. Like that just, just oh. that just gives you a, a, a really good like a, if you get if you anybody who's listening if you get a chance to look at the double page spread of it it just gives you 
an idea of the the scale of what the the hives look like because they're sticking up through the atmosphere and then you've got cruisers i think that to me looks like a cobra in one of the things so it just gives you an idea of what like the size of what these spires are if you can relate it to what a cobra class destroyer is within um the imperial navy so yeah i i, I really love that I, like, we we were going to do a, a, a talk about the artwork a little bit later in this chat but i guess as we're going through we can we can discuss our favorite bits as well so no absolutely these like i'm just staring at this double page spread and just it's you know it's it's the nerdiest centerfold i've <laughs> ever taken part in but it's <laughs> just so cool it's little things like this that i'm i'm an avid collector of uh, codexes and army books and uh, i've got boxes boxes of them and every now and then you just open up just to see some of the artwork and some of those you know the the classic sort of 40k grimdark art that comes with those things or it's a, a picture of a soldier or anything like that and you just look at it and it's there's just so much story and flavor in them i it's just awesome. I, I'm I'm going to be using that word so many times through this episode. It's awesome, but we can't yeah. get caught up on clouds no. and cobras because <laughs> there's something that you loved on that next page. Yeah, no, Brian. It was the the picture of uh, Gerontius Helmore with his with his little mate Rex, and I was just absolutely drawn to this because it, it's it's a true imagery of. Um, of grim dark in my sense in, in my opinion in that you, you look at the way that gerontius is regaled up and so forth and then you have this little creature sitting on his shoulder there is one thing i did notice about that artwork i didn't mention to you earlier the imperial eagle on his chest has actually got the necromundan skull on it as well it's not just the oh pure wow how yes. cool is that yeah absolutely I... I've looked at this picture a hundred times in the last yeah. week and have not noticed that until right now. Yeah, I was looking at it probably what, oh, a couple of hours ago and I'm just like, that's not the proper Imperial Eagle. And then I'm like, oh, that's the Necromunda. And it's got like the little spider legs to represent Necromunda. I'm like, oh, well done, GW, whichever artist did that one. That is an absolute banger. I really love that that imagery that you see in in that picture, but it's um, it's sort of done as a as a portrait that you would see uh, within a, a parliament building or something along those lines. Like, I guess with the American presidents do it, they get there when they're, when they're put into office, they get a portrait done up and it's, it's got, kind of got that same vibe about it. And there was something you were mentioning about this bit of artwork is it's like one of the first times we get to see Gerontius in, I guess, his young state. Is, is that yeah. what it is? Yeah. A, okay. a lot of the imagery I've seen of Gerontius has always been, um, uh, that very John Blanche style, where he looks quite old, mm. like he yeah. looks very, he looks very weathered, because we don't know where in his life these portraits are being done or these images, sort of these pic captures and that are coming from. But yeah, he always looks like a much older man. Whereas this here, he, we understand, like he looks, his his face is weathered, he's craggy, he's got this, this very almost abused imagery to him but mm. he still looks very young in comparison to a lot of the other pictures we see and when we take into account the fact that he's going to be having rejuvenation treatments and course, you know, yeah. access to the finest medicine and medical personnel the imperium would have to offer um 
the fact he still looks this way, we know he's still going to be very young. Mm. And then yeah, watching true. Rex over his shoulder, staring down at him, it's, I mean, caryatids. Uh, yeah, that was my oh. next thing I was going to talk about, caryatids. So caryatids are something that I've only just sort of explored a little bit into. Um, and I like them because it shows a real native aspect from what I've read. It's a very small snippet of information is that they're obviously a native element of Necromunda, whether they be, I don't know, a, a native creature or something that was introduced, but they are in the current world of Necromunda considered a native. Um, and the, the it sort of gives Necromunda that point of difference, you know, like the, the Cadians have their purple eyes and the, Necromun the Necromundans have their caryatids, but... Um, that that there is Rex. That's his uh, current current uh, carriage. Now, so this is yeah. This is a big conversation coming up here because we know that Gerontius has multiple carriages, and when you take into account how big of a deal it is when someone gets one, because they are. They are seen as the, you know, tiny blue personification of positivity and good luck. And they're, they're, they're effectively like a, a familiar that when one of these latches onto someone, they are, they are good fortune. They are good luck. They are positive omens for those people. Now... Gerontius has multiple caryatids attached to him. Not only Rex that we see in the picture here, but also Blinky, who we see through a couple of the, quite specifically um, the Cal Jericho book, Sinner's Bounty, he has a little role in. And something I love about this novel, if you haven't read the Cal Jericho series or Sinner's Bounty, please do. It's fantastic. Um, but Helmore's children openly believe that he loves Blinky more than <laughs> he loves them. Yeah, and right. <laughs> I, actually, I actually think it's true because... Blinky has more servants than his children do. Oh, right. And, yeah, <laughs> Blinky, Blinky literally has all of these, like, personal butlers and personal assistants looking after him. And So he's bottled upon. Okay. He's, he's bottled upon more <laughs> than his children. I just think it's fantastic. Does this <laughs> mean, does this mean that a caryatid communicates with... With, well, obviously, it communicates in some way, shape, or form. Is it psychic? Is it? Does it use like language? I don't know. Yeah, we 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 honestly don't know a lot about mm. them in that regards. There's and inevitably, when we do an episode on the sort of flora and fauna and mm. creatures and little things like that of Necromunda, I have several theories on caryatids. Um, that I want to throw out into the universe, and hopefully one of them sticks. Um, but in regards to canon, and becomes canon, um, yeah. you know, much, much like I believe the existence of Timmy Helmore, uh, which I don't think we've 
actually no, released that information. No, released. <laughs> but it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like doesn't when you matter. hear Timmy Helmore, you'll you'll understand. Don't worry, yeah, you'll understand, exactly. folks. Yeah. Um but, Yeah, go on. sorry, we're sidetracking ourselves. Yeah. yeah. But no, that's that's exactly it. And I I have theories on caryatids um through if different things that are said or done in a lot of the novels and that sort of thing there, some of the rule books where I, I feel that it's, it's pretty accurate where I'm going with it, but yeah, we'll, we'll touch on those when we do those episodes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, that's cool. We probably should move on. As I said, we're, we currently, we've got carried away into what is it? The census and the smallest little blue creature on Necromunda mm. and going down a rabbit hole or, if you were a carotid hole. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Yeah. No, yep. it's a carotid hole. Carotids live in holes. That's now canon. <laughs> canon. Take that, Mr. GW. <laughs> um, so I guess the, 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 the next thing that I want to talk about is, and this is where the book means a, a great deal to me as a, as a player who's hunting for lore and information. Um, we go into the, we go into the major hives and the landmarks. So we've, we've already, I think, We've mentioned a few of them in the previous pod, and we'll be mentioning them more in the in the the second part. Uh, so it just carries goes into the landmarks of Hive Primus, Secondus, Hive Secondus, uh, Hive Mortis, and Gothel's Needle, uh, Hive Temenos, Hive Acropolis, which is I don't know, is that the Grecian Hive? I'm not too sure. Yeah, the- lot, lots of columns and uh, stone lions. Yeah, yeah, right. There's a couple of guys named Hercules walking around, and mm. you know, you get yourself a ripper suvalaki there made out of uh, rat meat. Your yep. <laughs> um, rat meat suva. I have, <laughs> I have 100% have had one of those here in Melbourne. <laughs> Guaranteed. I reckon. See, for me, um, the Acropolis Hive. That's where everybody goes to at like 1 a.m. in the morning, just to be like, <laughs> "Oh, where, where am I going, bro? Just get me home. I've got to get back to Primus. Oh, I'm gonna grab one of these rat suvers. Yeah, nah, sick, bro. And just garlic sauce everywhere. Garlic yeah. sauce everywhere. <laughs> yeah. uh, Quinspress Hive, which I'll get back to um, Quinspress, the skull, and finally the la- the major landmark, which I th- yeah we will talk about in the next episode, is the Eye of Selene. But what I liked about all this in when you mention it mentions in the book, sorry, is that Trazior. You pronounce that Trazior? I'd say Trazio. Trait. Oh, that's wrong. So Trazior and Quinspress Cluster, they're actually... So Trazior is known as the three sisters in the local Necromundi dialect. And then Quinspress is, uh, means five spires in the local Necromundi dialect. So for me, what I pulled out of all that talking about the hives is that they have their own dialect. They've got, you know, almost like a, a secondary language going on. Um, I would, I would love to see that explored upon just a little bit more. There are a couple of little um, apocrypha necromundas that actually yeah. talk about the dialects within the house gangs and the sort of clan houses themselves. Um, each clan house does have their own sort of inner language. Um, yeah. And, you know, that depending on who you ask, it's... Even though it's an official GW release, certain people have issue with some of them. Not throwing any shade on uh, Chris Eden from the Sub City Radio podcast. I did really annoy him by using 
some of the Van Sar words in a letter I sent in, and I still hang a little bit of uh, hang a little bit of shit on him for it. <laughs> so yeah, but I, I I see I didn't know that until I read this book that there is their own dialect in there because like I'm I'm still learning my way through a lot of this. I reckon that's awesome. Like I don't know. I just I would love to see that blown up just a little bit more and. You know, where you get to see, I think it's a Tau within their army book, you get to see what their language looks like. And I know it's dialect, so it's to be a dialect of high Gothic or something along those lines. But I don't know, it's just, it, it adds another flavour. And because your gang is this this small cluster of miniatures on the table, you're not talking about a vast army, you want each one of those to be just an a little pocket of flavour. Each character, each model is packed full of flavour. So even adding something as you know, their particular house words to a banner or to, if you're skilled enough, paint it onto a backpack or something like that. I reckon that'd be absolutely sick. Like, yeah, anyway, like, go, no, go ahead. I, I 100% agree with you. It's those little things that you get to see in these publications. You just sort of like, it adds a tiny little layer that, that might be a throwaway line, but you build an entire idea up from it. Mm, yeah. yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's what a lot of our discussions, I guess, are, is that we read one little thing and we're like, oh, mate, imagine running a, a particular mission or a particular campaign or a particular gang based off this half half a sentence or something where you're just like, I'm just going to extract what I want and what I need out of that to get the idea brain flowing and, and come up with something really cool. And I did, I did mention earlier that we're talking a lot about the artwork, but that brings us into our, our next big discussion point in here is that is the Western Hemisphere map. Now, from my understanding, that this map hasn't been seen before. Is this a new map for Necromunda? There was a map released a little while ago um, mm. through GW, and that thing sold out faster than a rat meat server on a Saturday night. <laughs> and we get this version here of the Western Hemisphere of Necromunda in the new rulebook. And by the four-armed emperor, this thing is beautiful. Just everything you have available here, these tiny little just points of interest and these, the, just the, the sheer amount of content and ideas that have been created by just a dot point and mm. sometimes three words. I mean, you and me had a, what fifteen minute conversation yeah. of just the wreck of the Gladius seven twenty three. I was going to bring that up. Oh, that annoys <laughs> me so much. I have googled it. I've done everything within my brain to to find out what the hell is the wreck of the Gladius seven two three. It's right. It's for anybody who wants to know, and we'll we'll put this stuff up on our Instagram. For anybody who wants to know, it is just below Hive Secundus in. Oh, what's that? The the southeastern corner of it, and I just, for the life of me, cannot work out what it is. What's happened there? The map guide says it's a point of significance. Tell me what happened. Mm. Well, Tell something significant happened. happened. Yeah, oh, thanks, thanks, yeah. buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Just filling you in there, bro. Yeah, and that's the other thing on this map as well. What was it? I've, I spoke to you about this earlier. The Tartos pit. What the hell is the Tartos pit? And do you know what? It's worse than this. There's not even a reference. Um, on the the map guide as to what the Tartos pit is. Nice. It just has it. 
And I was just like, ah, oh, like, thank you for giving me stuff to, to fuel my imagination, but also damn you for not expanding upon it because I just want to know more. That's something that this map can do. I mean, there's a lot of these locations have been mentioned in different, you know, Apocrypha Necromundas or mm. novels or and that sort of thing there. 99.9% .9 of this has not, I, I truly believe, has not appeared anywhere except this map. But you yeah, see right. some stuff that you know, like Ashgrad. That's where my Vansar gang is from. And that, oh, was, okay. that was mentioned in one of those Apocrypha Necromunda articles from GW. Whereas you then have the Zalktra prison hive, which mm. we know that's an imperial penitentiary. And, you know, that's awesome. But what's, what's Port Blackwater? What's Eivor's grave? What is, you know, we know their settlements. We know their hives. We know their this. The Ceres Avionic Port, just outside yeah. of Hive Ceres there. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I was like, okay, it must be something, but it's, it's big enough that it's got a little map reference. And so it's yeah. a Skyport. What exactly does that look like in, when we want to visualize it? What does that mean? Who are the types of gangs there? What are the types of guilds there? Uh, this, this map is, is absolutely awesome. And for somebody like me who I've only ever seen this double spread map of Necromunda, this map gives me a much better understanding of what, where the hives are positioned in relation to each other um, and how this, this planet looks as well. Speaking of that, they, they do look in the, on the map, they've got a satellite image of Hive Secundus. And mm. you can see the, the fall and spire. It's just like, yes, it's bro, awesome. that is freaking nuts. Yeah. One last thing I want to touch on about this map before we move on there is if you go to Hive Ceres on the second page of that and just to the west, there's two points of interest, mm. Azure's Jump and Azure's Landing. <laughs> <laughs> what did he jump? And... Did 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 he survive the landing? From from that, it just it like from what I'm seeing on that map, it doesn't look like it was a successful jump and landing. Like, <laughs> well, no, it was a successful jump. I apologise, Ajor. You did a successful jump. I don't think your landing was that great because it's been flagged as a significant moment. Mm. So obviously, you blew up something. Something blew up you, or it was a combination of both. But, yeah, that's cool. I didn't notice that one before. There's also on there that you mentioned that region of the series, there's the Lost Road. Um, yeah. That's cool. Like, that's kind of like, oh, what's, what's going down there? What's, what's in the south? Here be demons sort of thing. I will mention, okay, one last thing about the map. All right, one last thing because I really love this map. It has all the markings for the underground roads, uh, the unstable ridgeways and the, the, the reliable ridgeways. And so the underground roads... There's, it, it, it's just so cool how they've marked them all out and sort of gives you an idea. If, you, if you're running a campaign, you go, oh, we can use this underground road and then what does that look like in a campaign mode? Uh, they also mark out the dust wall. Now, this is the first time I've seen the dust wall and it just gives you a real good indicator of what exactly that looks like around Secundus. So, yeah. Anyway, well, we, I could go on, honestly. For... We 100% could. <laughs> go on for ages about this map but let's not let's move on to our next point so this brings us to the most recently expanded region so correct me if i'm wrong here sam um the ash waste is the 
I guess you would say is a region that doesn't have as much information or am I? Oh, for sure. Just... Yeah. Okay. No, you're definitely right on that one. Uh, the Before the latest campaign books, the biggest jump out there was going into the ash wastes. Yeah. Okay. Sweet. So yeah, it's not as, so the, the, this compendium, we'll call it really, because that's what it is, uh, delves into the ash waste and just gives you a couple of paragraphs about each section, um, each, each area of the ash waste, so from Cinderac City to the deep waste. But it also does mention something really cool about Cinderac City, and that's the Cinderac Crater. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm just going to quote directly from the book here. Central to the region and... The focus of all of its trade, conflict and pros prospecting is Cinderac Crater, also known as the Great Crater or Gothra's Grave. A wound on the western edge of the Great Equatorial Waste it is all that remains of the once Great Hive Meridian. Over 100 kilometres across, it was created during the Two-Faced War when Gothra Helmore tried to starve Hive Primus by sabotaging Hive Meridian's macroplasma reactor. At the time, the Hive was the breadbasket of Necromunda's western hemisphere. That is awesome you've got uh, there's my favorite word awesome over 100 kilometers across they've created this crater and you've got a, de a decimated landscape all because of that two-faced wall that we talked about in the previous podcast but most importantly the crater is they build within the within inside the crater creating cinderac city and the crater itself acts as a a format to um, protect cinderac city from the ash yeah storms. yeah so it's it's just like the I don't know it's the, the there's some there's a a vibe I get from Necromunda it is it is ever going it is ever present like you know there's a lot of death and destruction and so forth in the world but it is persistent it is continuous you know what I mean like you where where you get human civilizations getting decimated on Necromunda and whole hives going and they just spring back up again so whatever's left springs itself back up and goes again you know um, and I I, I that that's this i don't know i'm trying to bring some sort of like shining light to it but it's just sort of saying yeah for all the struggle for all the hassle in this world humanity keeps just persevering and i guess maybe that's a drive from the imperium maybe it's a drive from the necromundans themselves absolutely man it just shows you that no matter what happens there necromundans are embedded here like ticks on a dog and it doesn't matter what the planet throws at them it doesn't matter who attacks them it doesn't matter what happens they are going nowhere and speaking of things that go nowhere let's have a look at the seven noble houses of necromunda and that was the best segue i've ever done yeah i'm, I'm the seamless seamless absolutely seamless i'm can i take some notes if you don't mind yeah, yeah. grab your textbooks kids you're <laughs> getting schooled now we know that house helmore are the prime noble house of necromunda they are the imperial house but we also have the for lack of a better term lesser noble houses there and they are catalyst Tai, yulanti green ran low and co-iron now each of these are true nobles and they make their money and their wealth 
through everything from trade, construction, transport, distribution. They have their fingers in every pie on Necromunda. In fact, when you have enough money and you're part of the Necromunda nobility, you just aren't on Necromunda anymore. You go somewhere else. That's exactly what I read. I read that recently. It's like they're just like, all right, cool. Business is running as normal. Um, we've got our clan houses doing what they want, what what we need them to do. Apologies. And we're just not going to be here. We don't want to be anywhere near Necromunda or the Necromundians. We just want the, the business to be running well. But I will tell you a uh, nice little tidbit I found out about House Ranlow. Um, mm-hmm. There was a chance that they were actually going to become the um, the actual imperial house, right? And but what happened is that they, they obviously went to war in multiple different ways, went to war with the house Helmore, and the only reason they didn't defeat them is they ran low on ammunition. I mean, it's kind of important in a war. They ran low on ammunition. House oh, ran low. Oh God. Um, I'd like to apologize <laughs> to our audience for that. Um, I was, I was like blown away. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I'd, I'd love to find out the background to this story. And you've come in with that. I hate myself just a little bit. For, Hold for on there, textbook kiddies. That's how you tell a joke. <laughs> yeah, Spamuel got schooled. Um, <laughs> Okay, and, you know, I'm not even going to edit that out. That was beautiful. <laughs> Just get, um, forget my derail and keep going. Yeah. Now, below the noble houses is everyone, but that tiny little rung that sort of keeps the noble houses perched up is the clan houses. These are the houses we know best, and they are the gangs we play, they are our boots on the ground when it comes to Necromunda. And we know there there are six current clan houses. There have been many more, there will be many more after that, but these are the six that exist right now. And they are Escher, Vansar, Delac, Cordor, Orlok, and Goliath. And give the current campaign books, we know there's also the Lost House of Aranthus. And we know they once ruled Necromunda, but what exactly, what position they're in at the moment, we don't know until that next book comes out, so we won't touch on that yet. So there's actually going to be info about Aranthus in the next book? Like, is that something that's, that GW has set in stone? Like, we are going to be exploring it, that? It's what we believe. We know House Aranthus... Mm. Are, are there they are you know not wanting to spoil anything for mm. people who haven't read those campaign books necessarily but they've been out for a while come on kids and there's a there is a lot about aranthus aranthus is back right um, that's in, cool in yeah. the form of giant robot man but that's neither here nor there yeah um, righty yeah that's bad <laughs> I really need to bring you those books so you can read them. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Um, also, just with the clan houses as well, uh, something I didn't know, the, the absolute catalogue of information I don't know, I'll just add this to it, um, is that there's, there's many small houses as well. So you've got yeah. your, six, your six main, and your six main, especially in Prive, Hive Primus, uh, don't, don't sort of have that much conflict with each other up at the upper echelons. It's all about maintaining the status quo, maintaining business. 
Yeah. Um, it's at the gang level that they obviously they'll clash and so forth. But then all the smaller houses as well that you have. So other small clan houses that will never like they'll never usurp any of the big ones because the big ones hold on to their power for a particular reason um, and with particular strength. But it, it was just yeah, it was something fascinating. I found that there's more than just the houses we mentioned, um, and then in certain hives. It's the it's the gang warfare on the lower levels is what we we mass, what we uh, manifest in our games, but up on the upper echelons of it, Escher, Sahar, Delacroix are all working together. You know. Well, that's the thing. We can talk about how these smaller houses are never going to do anything. Tell that to House Orland when they were dealing with those upstart Orlocks. That is true, actually. Yeah, and, very and true. Yeah. That that's something that's awesome. We have no idea what's going to happen, and mm. we you know. We can turn around and say, no, I'm house Timmy. And, you know, yeah, I, sure. yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm house Timmy. And yeah. in this particular hive we're existing in, we hold a decent market share of production. You know, there may be all of the, the main clan houses aren't present in this particular hive, which we mm. know. Every hive has a different mix of what clans yeah. are actually there. Yeah, I read so, that too. That was really cool. It's like yeah. some some hives you'll have a you you might have an equilibrium and it's sort of like a, a, a sort of a semi persistent conflict. But some hives, it's um, one clan is one clan house is particularly dominant, and so everything that happens they're allowing to happen, and they're like yeah, we can tolerate this. But if say if you had a a clan Escher modelled together with a few of the smaller houses to create their own house. You know what I mean? So they sort of abandon their way of clan Escher because they're not supported within a a particular hive. Would they then become something that is that is not uh, part of the big six? Absolutely. Mm. I mean, mm. it, it comes down to to necessity. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So um, I guess the yeah we'll, we'll we'll soldier on because we could. This, this is like. I guess a big talking point, talking about the clans and talking about the the breakdowns of them, and obviously we're gonna we're gonna be touching on that in the not too distant future. Uh, so soldiering on, we we've talked about Haranthus, but this is something that I know nothing about, and I was really fortunate to be able to read it in this book and got lots of good information about it. Is the the guilders or the yeah, guild, buddy, um, the merchant guilds, and I was just like blown away by uh, the way they describe them is that they they talk about that these are the fabric that hold the houses and the clans together so when one clan may not be talking to another clan it's the guilders who will help facilitate negotiations if required and so forth um but they're also nomadic so they're not necessarily fixed in one place and from what i my understanding correct me if i'm wrong here is they're not actually allowed to own territory they um they're only allowed to function within the territory uh and then within within primus though you you have some fairly big guilds but am i right in saying that they're not allowed to own territory or am i running us down a different incorrect path it's mentioned that way in a couple of different places um there is mention that they have particular territories for example where there's warehousing and storage and that sort mm. of thing there um and that seems to be fine but the ownership of land in particular right. is what I believe they're not really allowed to do. Some of the older novels um, do mention of guilders 
establishing permanent settlements within domes, um, basically just to sort of run their mini empires. You know, that that could be taken with certain liberties. They say, hey, yeah, we're, we're building a building here, but it's not owned by us. You know yeah, I mean? okay. Yeah, right. Can I ask one more question as well, like regarding this? As well? So I've been reading Uprising. Uprising talks about the, oh, the yeah. tale. Great book, by the way. If you get your hands on it, it's like little snapshot stories of Necromunda. Fantastic read and like completely inspirational if you're going after something to help you create terrain or help you create a, a different gang or a character or something else you want to add. But anyway, the Corpse Guild themselves, yep. they are, so that you have the Corpse Guild, what is their relation to the Corpse Grinder cult then? Are they one in the uh, same? Are they an element of it? Oh, I don't want to go too far down this road, yeah, down this yeah. carotid hole, but... So, so the Corpse Guild uh, deal with the reclamation of bodies and uh, turning them f from useless dead people to delicious and nutritious corpse starch. Yummy, yummy corpse and corpse the Corpse Grinders, in fact, the... Um, the Corpse Guild delegation that you can get from Forge World has two quote unquote corpse grinders. And oh. um, they're basically corpse grinder light. They they don't exactly have the, the they're not praying to the Lord of Blood and Sinew. They're just regular corpse grinders. They're cutting things up, throwing them into minces and oh. saying, you know, another job well done. So yeah, they are connected, but the corpse grinders Corpse grinder cultists um, are corpse grinders who have fallen to the worship of corn. Oh, righty. Oh, I yeah. get you. I, I was almost about to say, and I'll still go ahead and say it anyway, is that the, the corpse grinders themselves then are just like the farmers of corn. Yeah. 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 They're farmers, basically. They're producing yeah, they, the material, but they worship corn at the same time. They're like, yep. They, they're corn farmers. Corn farmers. Yeah. yeah. There's actual corn farmers on Necromunda. Is there high fructose corn syrup in Corpse Dutch? <laughs> okay. Tune in at nine o'clock to find out more. Yeah. This is the carry tit hole I was talking this, about. Stay yes. away from it. <laughs> back out, back out. But a, a really cool thing that's mentioned in this book, and the, sort of the last thing I want to say about yeah. the guilds themselves, is the guilds that are listed, the eight major guilds. Now, they are the Prometheum Guild, the Water Guild, the Corpse Guild, the Slave Guild, the Guild of Coin, the Electro Guild, the Iron Guild, and the Air Guild. Now, the Prometheum, Water, Corpse, Slave, Coin, and Iron, we have rules to use them on the tabletop. We have models coming out for each of these. But the Electro Guild and the Air Guild, like... So the Electro Guild, pretty simple. They run, and, you know, as an electrician, I guess I'd belong to them. I'd be a yeah. lamplighter under them. Um, but the Air Guild, now, it says here, in the suffocating depths of Magnoformis, Air Guild Zephyrmen ply their trade. In my mind, there is a guild of dudes flying around in like mini zeppelins doing transport or are they are, are they you know ferrying people cargo what's going on there are they are they postmen like this is 
this is insane. I'd love to know more about that. Yeah, I, I for me, I it it sounds like they are the um the the transport company of the of Necromunda. Like yeah, they're the ones taking where things can't go through the tunnels. They take the the Zephyrs, but they they would have. I'm sh- I'm assuming they would have the same issues that you would have taking the ridgeways and so forth um, of being ambushed, being jumped. You know. Yeah. So, like, sure. I, I mean, that's just my imagination running wild. I'm just thinking, oh, sweet, you're going to have some element of uh, conflict in the air, but not necessarily in a game sense, but more of a, you know, just from the law side of it. What yeah. would that look like? Who's who's in the sky? Who's who are the um, who are the ash wasters out in the sky? I guess for use of a better term. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know? I I didn't know any information about the air killers. And I, um, I thought it had something to do with maintaining the airflow in Necromunda. So, um, because it's something we didn't mention earlier about Cinderac, um, and the the ash wastes that there is actually, oh, I've lost my note. The here. needles. The needles. That's the one. Yeah. So the needles, and the needles are old, um, old squat technology, and they just the mechanic can maintain them to maintain the CO two um, in Necromunda. Yeah, which is just so Necromunda is basically like for functionally speaking, it's dead without those towers. Well, it goes back to the terraforming that had to happen after the Horus Heresy, where um, the Imperial Fists, boo, did boo. their <laughs> did their job and you know basically got the system compliant. But when those unknown Xenos came and just ruined Necromunda. Yeah. Um, it, it dumped huge amounts of CO2 into the environment and they ended up having to get these um, like itinerant clans of uh, squats and, or ironhead squats or votan or whatever you want to call them to yeah. come across and using their terraforming technology have built these needles to basically keep oxygen in the atmosphere. So if, right. if, if they, yep. they hit the big red button and turn those things off, everyone just suffocates and dies. And right. Yeah. All right. Like, that, and that's, that's bad. bad. Yeah. That is, I'm pretty sure that's bad. If I've read that that is bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's cool. Anyway, that that was what I thought the air guild was. Yeah. So I've just found out something new in the pod that they they're actually the uh, delivery truck drivers. Of, what are they? The uh, yeah, the Lynn Fox. The, the yeah FedEx. The Lynn Fox of uh, of uh, Necromunda. Yeah. yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. A- Amazon forty thousand Prime. <laughs> um, Guaranteed delivery sometime yeah. this decade. Yeah. Sometime this decade. Now, after that, uh, the book goes into the criminal networks, and that's going to be a whole episode by itself. Um, yeah, it talks yeah, I think about, so. Yeah. It talks about outcasts, outlanders and cults, Ashwaste nomads, Ironhead squat prospectors. Once again, all of these are going to have their own episodes, and... We don't want to sort of bog everyone down with talking about them now, just to reiterate that information later on. But one thing that this book has above everything else, through the rest of the book, because everything sort of after this point where we're up to, is stuff we're talking about in uh, the 10,000 year history. This book has artwork. This book has... Images on every damn near every page, yeah, um, if, of gangers, of dramatis personae, of 
these little scenes and I mean just scroll like like just scroll through the book just flip to a random page and you're gonna find either a battle scene or you're gonna find uh, a, a scenery scene you're gonna mm. find something and god oh, these are just awesome every single one of them yeah, they give you they give you scope for the game. Do you know what I mean? I always I always talk about this um, when I'm talking about the environment of what you're playing in. So when you're creating a miniature, making the base and making the tabletop is what helps it have immersion, and that's exactly what this artwork does as well. It really immerses you into the, what the world of Necromunda would look like, or what like I mean for use of a better term, feel like. But those little runners that you're talking about at the bottom of the page, where it's a little battle scene or something, if you have the opportunity to just don't read a single word in this book, treat it like a picture book, flip through and just have a look through. And we will have on our Instagram or some of the artwork that we're talking about. So please feel free to jump on there and and just have a look and maybe even show us your your favorite piece. But yeah. Some of the some of the artwork has little captions and notes attached to it, and it's it is one of those little captions. If I can just flick through and find it, so here it is. It says "Bones of the Past." So Necromunda is a graveyard, each hive surrounded by a millennia of cast-off structures, rubbish, and ancient abandoned settlements. When the ash wind blows, and when the toxic clouds part, or when the ground heaves and opens up, these forgotten places are revealed, drawing greedy scavengers and starving horrors in equal measure. You look at what it's attached to, that statement, the artwork it's attached to, and it just gives you so much inspiration as to what a battlefield could look like, mm. what your gang could look like in there, and then something that we've mentioned earlier about um, how you can apply certain rules or whatever to this. But you are completely 110% right. Some of the artwork in here is on its own, just single snapshots, just inspirational to make you either want to collect a gang wanting to um, maybe set up a certain battlefield in a certain way or, you know, a shanty town or something along those lines. But, yeah, there's some real classics. And I, I Sorry, there are some real bits of artwork in here that will become classics, I believe. Uh, mate, if we're going to talk about specific pieces, um, there is one here on page 120 for those of you who have the book already. And it is a snapshot of a corpse grinder cultist who has pinned down a goliath ganger um the corpse grinder cultist is unarmed and he is beating this goliath to death with his bare hands and you can see the he's he's got his hand pulled back for a punch but there's visible gore on his fist already so he's hit this guy at least once there's streams of viscera coming off his hand and you can't see the goliath's face but you you know he knows what's coming the terror that must be on his face and like just looking at this i'm like great now i want to build a gang of corpse grinder cultists with just a dude who just doesn't have any visible weapons on him he just wants to get his hands on you that's and, cool just oh, a pair of dusters not called dusters. yes but yes. it's little things like this. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that I've I've invented that story by looking at this. Yeah. And this is what I'm talking about. And mm. there's yeah, Nate's right. There's gonna be a bunch of these pictures we wanna throw up 
on the Instagram and just sort of say, hey, these are the things we're talking about. These are the ones that we are absolutely loving. Um, but there is, just... there is one I'll mention it, that on 182 of your book, if you, if you guys have that. Um, it's the Great Palatine yeah. Nexus, and it basically looks like a shipping container yard. And it is the scale of it is phenomenal. You get to see this little little worker there and you get to see the cranes. That if you had the the time, if you had the the capacity to make a battlefield that looked even one percent of what this Nexus looks like, it is just a a stunning visual. And I just again something that I recommend if you get the opportunity to have a look at it, it should give you the inspiration. And I'll just mention two more pages. Before, otherwise, this is a proper carotid hole. This yeah. one, we will not come back for it for like four hours. But page one at ninety four, it's in reference to the Beast Lair's mission. Yes, they actually yes. show the Beast, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Whichever gang is coming, like you know what, a company of Space Marines would look at that and be like, ah, oh, this is going to be a tough fight. Whichever gang with his like five to ten blokes rocking up, going, ah. Oh, how are we even supposed to dream of fighting that thing when you look at the artwork for it? You're like, I just don't even know where to start shooting. And for people who don't have the book handy, I'm going to describe this beast for you. Now, picture an amorphous blob. Now, give it approximately 39 eyes. Uh, I'm going to say seven different mouths, uh, 46 tentacles, each of them with their own eyes and mouths. And three very unfortunate-looking Orlock gangers, uh, one of whom is about to have a very bad day. A short day. A sh- a short <laughs> it, will, day. it will be a very short day. Uh, <laughs> but the, the, there's one bloke at the back of the three of them just sort of holding up his little lantern like... Hasn't got his his gun drawn. He's just like, I'm looking, I'm leaving. I've had enough of this nonsense. Yeah. And there was there was one other last one that I'll mention. As I said, we the artwork and miniatures is is my thing. That's that's always draw me to to any sort of miniature game. Uh, they're the two things that inspire me probably the most. Like I I love the law, don't get me wrong, but a good miniature followed up, backed up with some brilliant art and You've got me suckered. I will. I will buy every single miniature you ever make for that particular range, or that particular faction. So the piece of artwork that we're looking at here is, it's a Cordor gang, from what I can see, a Cordor gang versus a um, Vansar gang, yep. and just the chaos of that of that scene is for me the epitome of what Necromunda gang warfare is about. You just see like tracer rounds going left, right, and centre. You see people coming in from the side. It is, it is just a full-on, like, mess of a battlefield. And it, is in, it's so, it looks so cramped. It looks so tight. You can see the overheads above the, um, the Vansar gangers, above the Cordor gangers. You can see a dead Cordor ganger. You can see a guy, uh, a Cordor member with a great two-handed axe round yeah. in the corner. And, the, and it's clear. It's clear in the artwork. You have no idea. The, the Vansar have no idea he's there. So that, that artwork's on page 252 and 253 for people who have the book. But as I said, for all of our listeners, we will be putting this stuff up on our Instagram because if it's inspirational for us, we'd, we just hope it provides the same sort of inspiration for you listeners as well. One thing I want to call out about this is you've got, yeah, Nath's smashed it out. You've got there these sort of the unwashed mass of the corridor with their masks and their polearm weapons and the Vansar on the other side. You can see the 
the the lights behind their behind their masks and then you've got this just beautiful example of the insanity that is necromunda where you've got you know auto guns last weapons blunder poles and then there's a rat that's got about half a dozen hand grenades duct taped to him and he's rushing those vansar like it's the last thing he's gonna do and which is i'm sorry buddy it is the last thing you're gonna do um but that's it that's it like the the artwork in this every single page you just even if it's just one of these characters or a picture of some of these weapons it's all it's just so good and it's proper grim dark yeah yeah absolutely and speaking of weapons another i know i said i don't want to talk about rules and gameplay and that sort of thing the trading post in this bad boy everything's there well not everything but you know the trading post and the black market have been pulled together into a single thing and having all that information handy is great because it gives you a breakdown of you know there is actual information as to what a lot of these things are i mean we can talk about everything from a blade of overlays or displacer fields or you know the cortex cogitators People aren't going to know what that means from anything until you really get into it. In fact, Nath, there was one piece of war yeah. gear that you told me you needed more information. I, I, I love it, and I, I just, and this is this is where um, us as you know people who drive more about the law than the rules. This is something that you can still draw out, like you're reading your weapons and you're finding out what it does in a game. But then it just gives you this extra little element where it's talking about the archaeotech carapace yes the carapace is absolutely sick in the game terms works really well and it's this rare elite um piece of technology blah 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 but the the longer the the user uses it and the more bionics they keep adding eventually the suit takes over and once they have a certain amount of bionics that are attached to within this suit they just disappear off into the hive see you later thanks for all the fish so they've been taken They've been basically taken over by the suit and they've become, for use of a better term, like a, a mechanised zombie. And the, the suit's now guiding pretty much how they operate and where they go. And when I read that, I was just like, that is awesome. What a brilliant piece of technology to have within the game. It gives you all these benefits and so forth. But more importantly, it can turn your super, super cool leader or champion, whatever you might have, into just a, um, a mechanised zombie. Yeah. and we've we've talked about different things you can do with this and you know the the idea of you have this guy that ends up leaving your gang because he or she's had this archaeocarapace slapped on them and they've kept getting injured and it just keeps taking over more and more until their consciousness is gone and they leave now imagine three or four games later in the campaign where you know this archaeocarapace robo warrior something in their mind clicks and they come back and they're like, no, no, my former gang did this to me. I want revenge. Now imagine having like a, a mechanic, mechanic in the game that you could roll that your opponent can have this former gang member of yours as a hired gun for that game where they're coming yeah. after you. And I mean, 
once again, I hate the fact I'm talking about rules and gameplay and that sort of thing, but the concept of bringing that throwback character back mm. in on yeah. as a as like an NPC hostile, like yeah. that's that's just so cool. Yeah, but then like you could, and again, we're not going to go down the rules pathway, <laughs> but you carry could have carry carry tit hole. We're not going to go down the carry tit hole of rules, but you could have them like going like they have to partic- go after the the leader the current leader of the the warband and they ignore all yeah. their spells unless they're shot at or something like that and it just puts this this fear and pressure that um you don't normally get out of out of a game where it's just like you basically got a a for use of a better term a terminator hunting after your gang leader then you're like mm. oh my god do i hang around do i bottle early do i try and do my mission or do i try and kill this thing you know like that's the that's oh, your next man. option. Yeah. I imagine you kill it. The suit pulls all the bionics back and it's the archaeocarapace by itself again. So you've literally got it. You could be like, ooh. Ooh. You know, Billy, <laughs> Billy hurt I... his leg this game. Yeah. <laughs> Slap the carapace on him. I'm sure he can take control of it better than the last yeah. guy. He was weak. It's, yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's the internal user, not the actual suit. Yeah. yeah. Um, looking at the next point, we have a really cool part of the book and obviously guys we've been talking a little bit about like how things work in game turns and so forth um but the campaign variants that you can do are absolutely fantastic you you have the opportunity to run the campaign in different ways and i've i've only ever played a standard version of a campaign i've never done more than that so to to have all these variations just is i i think is brilliant to have them all in the same spot as well is, is a lot more user-friendly. The, the one campaign that really stuck out for me, though, and I don't know if it's an, if it's an older thing or if it's, if it's something new to this book, is the Iron Man campaign that you can run where you basically get yeah. 3,000 points for your, for your gang. Uh, 3,000 credits, sorry. 3,000 credits for your gang. And then you, you can't resupply. You can't um, get more juves. You can't do, like, I mean, depending on who's arbitrating the game, you can't get more weapons and so forth. But that, beside all that, the, the story you can come up with for this, and I've been thinking about it, is you could have a gang trying to escape Hive Secundus as the Gene Steeler cults are taking over. So yeah. before the dust wall goes up, when it is just gone absolutely bonkers in there, um, this gang's like, all right, whatever we've got, pack it up, let's roll. And so you end up having... A three thousand point gang, and that's everything. Like they've taken everything—the kitchen sink, the whole lot—and they are just trying to get out of the hive. And you could play a campaign that is not not really about like how successful you become and how popular, like or how dangerous your gang becomes. It's all about did you get out? Who got out? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And then yeah, and then if you wanted to, you want to go a bit further. Your next gang you create that leader is a survivor or one of the Jews from that from that gang that managed to survive and get out. Oh, that is sick. I so, mean, yeah. imagine yeah. the story you could build mm. from that. Yeah. 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 That's, that's oh. exactly what I was looking at. I was like, mate, you could just have this real, like, bunch of hard nuts. Imagine if you had a gang. So you got 3,000 credits. Oh, let's assume you have, like, 15 members or something like that. Um. And it finally 3, 000, gets three thousand credits. That gets me nine Vansa. Nine Vansa. So <laughs> uh, imagine just having three left at the end of the whole campaign, 
because there's been no resupply, you've had guys die, you've got guys hurt so badly that they've just been put out of commission. Um, then you've got these three absolute hard nuts left. And you're just like, well, my next gang has to have at least one of these in them. You know I mean? Yeah. And, and it's, you're, you're paying homage to that previous gang, but you're also paying homage to that previous campaign. So that, that was something I picked up in the book. I was like, oh, mate. I want to do one of these Iron Man games. And there's other ones there. There's some really cool other methodologies of playing the game. Um, but for me, it was the Iron Man just, the, again, I love the, I love the idea of the pressure and the, and the fear on the battlefield coming to, to fruition. Um, and by having that, you'd be like, mate, I could stick around and fight. But if um, little Gary, you can have Timmy, old Gary, yeah, little Gary died, if little Gary gets really badly hurt or captured, there's no getting him back. Like, there's no, like, oh, well, he died. I'll just replace him with a juve and build him up and whatever the case might be. No, 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 no. That's it. Pack it up. All that gear, all that time, all spent. And so you, it really begins to to weigh up, like, your your desire to achieve a mission or your desire to keep these um, particular gangers alive. Okay, so we're going to have to, after Akramunda, we we're going to then have to take a random character of ours and turn them into the leader of a gang for a campaign afterwards. Done. That's an awesome idea. Done. Love it. Love it. <laughs> Dunsky. Yeah, they're the survivors of Akramunda. Yes. Or the survivor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. And I think, I, I believe that's covered off everything we were going to talk about. Oh, no, there was one last thing that um, I found really inspiring within the book as well is the optional special rules. And again, I'm not, not a massive purveyor of the, the rules, so Sam, correct me if I'm wrong here, I haven't seen these optional special rules appear um, anywhere else, so I'm assuming it's something new for this book. Uh, once again, these are new for the book there. Yeah, right, cool. From so, my understanding anyway, I may yeah, be wrong. Yeah, well, again, guys, when we're, not this, we're not here for, um, for the rules. We're here for the law, so do forgive us if we do get the rules or, like, the the repeating of rules stuffed up a little bit. Please feel um, free to send your complaints to <laughs> underhivelawkeepers yeah. at gmail.com. Yeah. Uh, just attention them to Nathan. I will not be paying attention to the complaints, only the compliments and actually, no, also the complaints. Yeah, yeah, no, please do, because there's a lot about you. Um, they really are. <laughs> so the optional special rules, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, not going to highlight it too much, but it, it talks about the Arbiter being able to add these into the game and one of the rules that stood out for me was the um, exploding ammunition. Um, so you, you roll a one to, to hit or whatever the case might be, and there's a chance that the ammunition you've got is a bit dodgy and blows up. And that is exactly what you would expect from weapons in Necromunda, especially like Cordor weapons or um, even, even Goliath weapons or... Um, even some of your bounty hunters and so forth, people like they're, they're just they're using whatever they can. They may not necessarily have the best tech, and I was thinking you could use that rule, even if it's for just only one side of the battlefield. So mm. that 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 gang or, or or player would have like maybe a better access to the um to the black market, not the black market. What do we call it now? The marketplace now. Better access to the to the marketplace in the previous game. But then when they actually make it to the, the field, you're like, ah, well, you've got exploding ammunition because you bought the cheap stuff. So Yeah. yeah see, and yeah. that's the thing. Like, 
I get it. We don't want to talk about rules and that, but you can take these little pieces of lore or little ideas and that and just change the entirety of the campaign or the games you're playing however you want to make it, you know, more yours, which is exactly what this whole thing is about. Turning everything into something that is yours, whether it is a, a house gang or a campaign or just a dramatis persona or a hired gun that you just make of your own. It's the, the template for everything is there, especially in this book. It's all there for you. You've, you know, you've just got to reach out, grab it and say, I'm going to make this mine. Yeah, and I, I love what you said there about making it yours. Like the the whole point of this type of wargaming and so forth is about having something that feels really personal to you, and especially in in Necromunda, because you have such a small gang and you have such a small amount that you're like each one of them has a name, each one of them has a purpose on 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 the battlefield. So making it yours, yeah, my gang's never going to be like the next next Escher gang. You're it's always going to be different, and the, by including optional special rules and and you know campaign variants and all this other stuff that's what makes it a, a more complete for for me anyway a more complete experience when not only building the gang but also using them on the tabletop as well yeah 100 percent, man and you know before we uh end up down another carrier to hole yeah. uh, we'll close up on the episode and this one here i've got a quote from once again, it's from this particular book. It's on page 304. And I feel it's quite apt given the way a lot of our conversation is gone. And it is creepy little things crawling about the place like rats with wings. I don't care what they say about how they're good luck or something. You'd never catch me with one on my shoulder. Why am I whispering? Have you seen the ears on those things? And that's Nightside Joe, proprietor of the Seven Veils Obscure House, talking about caryatids. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. As always, I am Spamuel. Joining me once again was Nathan. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed that episode. I, 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 you, you snuck up with me with that quote as well. I didn't know you were going to do that. That's an <laughs> awesome quote and really, really thematic to what we were talking about as well. So, yeah, I love this episode. And I love, mate, if, if for anybody who's listening, if you can get a copy of the book, it is absolutely worth your weight in gold just to, just to enjoy the lore and the artwork in it. Absolutely. This, this book is awesome. I think between the two of us, we've read it cover to cover multiple times now. And... Every time I click on something else, I'm, I'm learning something new or I'm seeing something cool. And another gang is started. Another mini is started. And you know, I think uh, this book might be the death of me. But closing this one out, thank you again, everyone. And you'll hear from us next in part two of A Brief 10,000 Year History. And that should be out not too long after this one. So on behalf of the Lawkeeper team, thank you very much. See you next time.